Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Exurga Deus Discipentur Inimici Eius, et Fugiam Cio Deruntium Afacia Eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and let all those who hate him flee from before his face. It's nice to be able to return to the microphone once again, even though, as of right now, I am actually ill. But there are things that need to be talked about. And one of those things is the fact that it is becoming very obvious, even to those who don't normally make these determinations, that there is something diabolical going on. And with that, I have an article from lourockwell.com. I don't know who the author is, specifically, but it is a, uh, oh, excuse me, it's a, I guess, Dr. Naomi Wolf. Have the ancient gods returned? The ancient gods, as you'll recall, from scripture, all of the gods of the Gentiles are demons. So it would seem that people are beginning to realize that everything that's happened over the last few years cannot be explained naturally. And I'm very grateful for that final revelation because it makes the rest of the, di- the discourse, the rest of the discussion, the determination as to which direction we should head in much, much easier. But it also puts families into internal turmoil as some members of families have committed themselves to these demons while others are searching and yet others still are reconnecting with the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the one true faith of our fathers. I'm going to read the article and then I'm going to talk about a few things because I saw a few things that need further explanation, things that are not mentioned because, of course, very likely, this is not a believer, per se. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. 
in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Archangel, defende nos in proelio, contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli est praesidium. Imperat ili Deus, supplicas deprecamur, tuque princeps militae caelestis, satanam aliosque spiritus malignosque ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur et mundo divina virtute, in infernum de trude. Amen. Cor Iesus Sacratissimum, miserere nobis, mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis, beatus carolus et homo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Sancta Michael Archangela, defende nosum proelio, in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. From LouRockwell.com Have the ancient gods returned? Is a seemingly far-fetched premise unfolding after all? By Dr. Naomi Wolf. From the article. These days, to my surprise, people want me to talk about evil. In a Substack essay from last year and in my book, The Bodies of Others, I raised a question about existential metaphysical darkness. I concluded that I had looked at the events of the past two and a half years using all of my classical education, my critical thinking skills, my knowledge of Western and global history and politics, and that using these tools I could not explain the years 2020 to present. Indeed, I could not explain them in ordinary material, political or historical terms at all. This is not how human history ordinarily operates. I could not explain the way the Western world simply watched from being based at least overtly on values of human rights and decency to values of death, exclusion, and hatred overnight, en masse, in lockstep, without resorting to reference to some metaphysical evil that goes above and beyond fallible, blundering human agency. When ordinary would-be tyrants try to take over societies, there's always some flaw, some human agency undoing the headlong rush toward a negative goal. There are always factions or rogue lieutenants. In ordinary human history, there is always a miscalculation or a blunder or a security breach or differences of opinion at the top. Mussolini's power was impaired in his entry to the Second World War by being forced to share the role of military commander with King Victor Emmanuel. I want to take a sidebar here and say that his power was impaired by his entry into the Second World War from a psychotic and drug-addicted Adolf Hitler. Many people in the United States of America do not comprehend what it was that Benito Mussolini was all about. He was considered the leader. He was Il Duce, right? But he served at the pleasure of the king and of the Italian parliament. And people forget that. He was the leader because he inspired people. He was not the leader because he had a, a, a multifaceted unilateral dictatorship. Anyway, continuing from the article. Hitler miscalculated his ability to master the Russian weather, right down to overlooking how badly his soldiers' stylish but flimsy uniforms would stand up to extreme cold. Before he could mount a counter-revolution against Stalinism, Leon Trotsky was assassinated in Mexico City in his bath. But none of that fracturing or mismanagement of normal history took place in the global rush to lockdowns, the rollout of the COVID hysteria of mandates, masking, of 
global child abuse, of legacy media lying internationally at scale and lying all in one direction of thousands of trusted messengers parroting a single script and of forced or coerced mRNA injections of at least half of the humans on Earth. As of the last tally, it's roughly 60%. As I wrote in the earlier essay, I reluctantly came to the conclusion that the madness we saw unveiled since 2020 could not have been brought about by my normal history or by ill-intentioned individuals using human agency. Human agency alone could not coordinate a highly complicated set of lies about a virus and propagate the lies in perfect uniformity around an entire globe, in hundreds of languages and dialects. Human beings using their own resources alone could not have turned hospitals overnight from having been places in which hundreds of staff members were united in and collectively devoted to the care of the infirm, the prolongation and salvation of human life, the cherishing of newborns, the helping of mothers to care for little ones, the support of the disabled, to killing factories in which the elderly were prescribed run death is near, remdesivir at scale. Of course, that is a misunderstanding of what the hospitals have been coming over, or has been coming over the hospitals over the last few decades. It would seem that this doctor, uh, who seems to be a, hist uh, a historian, does not understand that she probably actually had no idea what was really going on in hospitals. This argument has been going on all the way back to 2008 when Barack Obama started talking about the idea of universal health care. And Sarah Palin was once lambasted quite often over the concept of death panels. And what we have today is a choice in the Canadian healthcare system, in the British healthcare system, and increasingly in the United States healthcare system to simply say that it's too expensive to keep you alive. Now, we don't have universal health care in this country, but that is exactly what would happen. The vast majority of doctors do not work in private practice. They could not survive. The vast majority of doctors are part of health insurance conglomerates. Where cash, where money and cost-effectiveness of healthcare is actually the king. Continuing from the article. Also, look at the speed of change. Institutions turned overnight into negative mirror images of themselves with demonic policies replacing angelic ones. <coughs> Again, I would say that this is only in perception. Because those of us who are at least as old as I am remember Waco, Texas, when the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, in, in coordination with the Federal Bureau of Investigation, obliterated a compound, killing hundreds of people, mostly women and children and even infants. These same federal agencies are responsible for the conflict in Montana between the federal government and the Montana Freeman. These same federal agencies have a long track record of trains of, of, of abuses, 
a train of abuses that stretches back all the way to the inception of these agencies, particularly in the case of the Federal Bureau of Investigation, which had been led by J. Edgar Hoover, who was more than willing to get in bed with the mob in order to make sure that he was able to direct political power as much as possible. These agencies were evil from the start. They just had a good image. They were always evil. And it's not even like these agencies just began. Some of these agencies actually have their historical ties all the way back to President Abraham Lincoln, whose Secretary of State during the Civil War, in the lead up to the Civil War and during the Civil War, had his own secret police. Anyway, continuing from the article. Human history change, human history change is not that lightning fast. The perception of the rollout, the unanimity of mass delusion, cannot in my view be explained fully by psychology, not even as a mass formation. There have been other mass hysterias before in history, from blood libel, the widespread belief in medieval Europe in that, in the, in that excuse me, the widespread belief in medieval Europe in that the Jews were sacrificing Christian children to make matzah to the flare-up of hysteria around witches in Salem, Massachusetts in 1692, to the irrational exuberance of tulip mania, also in the 17th century in the Netherlands. But all of these examples of mass frenzy had dissidents, critics, and skeptics at the time, and none of these lasted for years universally as a dominant, uninterrupted delusional paradigm. Oh, I don't think this woman actually understands history at all or she doesn't understand what has actually been going on these last few years. Because I can tell you that at a minimum in the traditional Catholic space, these questions have been since the beginning. Doctors were silenced for questioning COVID. Scientists were silenced for questioning whatever the, whatever the prevailing narrative was. Twitter was strong-armed and paid off by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, among other agencies, to make sure that no one was seen questioning. But the questions were out there. They were out there at a minimum on this podcast, but I know for a fact, because I listened to all of the other ones, from the Corbett Report, from Dell Bigtree, from all of the others in Catholic social media, Trad Cat Knight, Return to Tradition, Restoring the Faith, The Rundown. The questions were always there. Many people questioned. The thing is, is that many of us were silenced. The only reason why this podcast was not silenced is because my audience is terribly small. Had my audience been to the magnitude of Taylor Marshall, in all honesty, I think the helicopters would have come for me. For real. Had my audience been the size of Joe Rogan, 
I would have been disappeared without a doubt. Or at least they would have tried. She truly does not understand what was actually going on these last few years. She's only talking about her own experiences and what she was able to read. She did not obviously know that there have been thousands of us questioning all of these prevailing narratives. All of them. Continuing from the article. What we have lived through since 2020 is so sophisticated, so massive, so evil, and executed in such inhumane unison that in my view it cannot be accounted for without our venturing into a metaphysical explanation. Something else, something metaphysical, must have done that. And I speak as a devoted rationalist, and that's why she didn't know. I concluded that I was starting to believe in God in more literal terms than I had before, because this evil was so impressive and so palpable. And so it must be directed at least by something as powerful. That was all good. <laughs> Her story is the same as very many. I knew at the time I wrote in my initial essay that Satan was, at least for me, an insufficient explanation. One reason that I felt that Satan was an insufficient name for what we were facing is that I'm Jewish and we don't have the same tradition of Satan that Christian Western culture inherits and takes for granted. Oh, that's why. In Jewish tradition, this entity's role is not so much the fully developed, rather majestic adversary of God that appears fully fledged in the Christian tradition, an elaborated character that was dev developed subsequent to, as some scholars point out, the influence of Zoroastrianism on Judaism and then on Christianity in the years leading up to and after Jesus' life and death. In the Old Testament, rather, the Satan, or Hasatan, the accuser, makes a number of appearances, but the accuser here is an adversary or opponent rather than being the majestic villain of the New Testament. And she actually very clearly doesn't understand what she believes her own faith to be. Hmm. And of course of Dante's and Milton's later characterizations that so influenced Western ideas of Satan or of the devil. This explanation of how the Hebrew Hasatan differs from the Christian Satan is important. Likewise, excuse me, she's quoting. Likewise, in, the Old, in Old Testament Hebrew, the noun Satan, which occurs 27 times, and the verb Satan, which occurs six times, are often used in a general way. If I Satan someone, I oppose them, accuse them, or slander them. David uses, this, uses it this way in the Psalms. Those who render me evil f for good accuse me because I follow after good. If I act as a Satan to someone, therefore, I am their adversary or accuser, as the messenger of the Lord stood in the way of, the, of Balaam, as his adversary. Or as Solomon told Hiram, that he had no adversary who opposed him. We use this too, it's actually in, in, in the Catholic faith, this is where you get the devil's advocate. Thus, in Hebrew, the noun and verb can have the non-technical meaning of stand opposed to someone as an adversary. In the case of Balaam, even the Lord's messenger was a Satan to him, and that is to say, a God-sent opponent. That is the first point to keep in mind, unlike in English, where Satan always refers to a malevolent being. In Hebrew, Satan can have a generic, non-technical meaning. 
Because Jewish tradition of Satan is less developed and more impressionistic than this character became under Christian narratives, I felt that Satan was not a sufficient explanation, at least not sufficient to me personally, to explain fully the inexplicable, immediate mirror imaging of what had been our society that I saw around me to explain how our institutions had inverted themselves in the flicker of an eye, but I did not have a better concept with which to work. Then I heard of a pastor named Jonathan Kahn, who had written a book. The title was The Return of the Gods. The title resonated with me even before I read the book. Though I don't agree with everything in his book, Pastor Kahn's central argument that we have turned away from the Judeo-Christian God and thus we opened a door into our civilization for the negative spirits of the gods to repossess us actually felt right to me. Jonathan Kahn is a Messianic Jewish minister. He is the son of a Holocaust refugee, formerly a secular atheist. Kahn had a near-death experience as a young man that led him to accept Jesus, or as he refers to this presence by the original Hebrew name, Yeshua, as his Lord and Savior. Pastor Kahn has a ministry based in Wayne, New Jersey, which brings together Jews and Gentiles. In the return of the gods, his surreal, improbable, and yet somehow hauntingly plausible thesis is that an ancient, dark, metaphysically organized forces, the gods, of antiquity have returned to our presumably advanced, secular, post-Christian civilization. Presumably advanced, secular, post-Christian civilization. If you're Catholic, then you understand exactly how foolish this concept this set of concepts is as a catholic the church teaches that the world is in the possession of the devil and his fallen angels and they're in the possession of the devil specifically due to original sin Because with original sin, and for those of you who are not Catholic and who don't understand the concept of original sin, I want to go ahead and dive into this a little bit so you understand. If your three-year-old is playing outside and you tell your three-year-old not to go play in the street, and they do, they defy you, and they risk getting run over by a car. Now, just because they play in the street does not mean that they get run over by the car automatically. But in stepping out from under your authority, they take their lives into their own hands and they place themselves under someone else's authority. Because Adam sinned in this way, he took, he stepped, he and Eve both stepped out from under God's authority. Eve first out from under the authority of Adam and God, and then Adam out from under the authority of God by deciding to to partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the consequence of this was that they were banished from paradise, and they were sent out to where the devil has reign. And the reason why, in sacred scripture, the gates of hell will not withstand Christ's church is because we are not the city on earth. We are not the city in the world. The world belongs to the devil. Because Adam, and as a result, all of mankind surrendered the authority that they had under God 
to him by following his instruction. Oh, surely you will not die. But when you partake of the fruit, you will be as gods. And in making that decision, they chose to emplace themselves not under the authority of God, but instead under the authority of the devil. And they took the whole world with them. This has been Catholic teaching from the beginning. So when we say that the church will stand and that the gates of hell will not stand against her, it is because the church raids the city of the devil for its souls. And there is nothing that the devil can do, no matter how high his walls, no matter how strong his gates, to stop Holy Mother Church from collecting the souls that rightly belong to her. And as a result of belonging to her, belong rightly to God. The moment our society in the entirety of the world became post-Christian, we rejected God once again. And this did not happen 50 years ago. This did not happen three years ago. This happened hundreds of years ago. And over the course of the last 500 years, the devil has been making more and more headway, has been re-securing his property. And it's not that it's his property by divine right. It is his property because we, choose, because we as fallen mankind, continually to choose to make it so. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It only seems to have accelerated because in the last three years, the mask is off. But particularly in the United States of America, it has always been this way. I've stated in many previous episodes that this nation was founded in large part, although through subterfuge, for the sake of the destruction of the Catholic faith in the Western Hemisphere. We have this in the writings of the Founding Fathers. We have this in the writings and the policies that the government would then enact over the subsequent decades. From its inception, the United States of America was always anti-Catholic. And what happens is as you get further and further away from the authority of Christ, you fall deeper and deeper into darkness. And what should have been a clue, what should have been the main clue, was the fact that in the American Civil War, 500,000 of our own people were slaughtered. Not for the abolition of slavery, because if the country wanted to abolish slavery, they could have done it the way it was done in France. They could have done it the way it was done in Britain. They did not choose either of those paths and instead fought a war and then claimed that it was for the abolition of slavery, despite the fact that the principal prosecutor of the war has said in his own writings, and this is from Abraham Lincoln himself, that he was not concerned with the freedom of the Negro race. He said in his own writings that he believed that blacks in America were substandard. They were a deficient branch of the human brotherhood. He said worse about the Native Americans. If that comes as a surprise to you, if this is your first time hearing it, I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but a good old honest Abe was anything but. He was a tyrant, just like many others. <sighs> but I digress. Pastor Khan's theme, continuing from the article, is that because we have turned away from our covenant with Yahweh, especially we in America and we in the West, and especially since the 1960s, and this actually holds true 
also for the Catholic Church. Therefore, the ancient gods, rather the ancient pagan energies, I love the way she says that, the ancient devils that had been vanquished by Catholicism, I'm sorry, I'm rewriting at this point because this is driving me nuts. Let me actually just quote her. Therefore, the ancient gods, rather the ancient pagan energies that had been vanquished by monotheism and exiled to the margins of civilization and human activity, have seen an open door and thus are a ready home to reoccupy in us. Not just vanquished by monotheism. Vanquished by Christianity. Vanquished by the one true faith. Anyway, moving on. He argues that they have indeed done so. Pastor Khan makes use of, the par- of a parable in the New Testament to make this case. I cite the King James Version. Oh, you know this one. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through the dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out, and when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept and garnished. Then he goeth, and he taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so it shall be unto this wicked generation. Pastor Khan makes the case that the ancient gods were initially, in in essence, put on the defensive as the Hebrew Bible recounts, first by Yahweh and by the introduction of monotheism and the revelation of the Ten Commandments, and then that they were vanquished altogether and sent into the outer darkness by the arrival to humanity of the being whom he sees as the Messiah, Yeshua. One might right away resist such a phrasing. What do you mean, the gods? But Khan is both careful and accurate in his translations and his tracing of four millennia of religious history through a set of phrases. Khan accurately points out that the Hebrew Bible refers to what in Hebrew is rendered shadim, or negative spirits. In modern Hebrew, this word means ghosts. Khan correctly points out that these spirits, powers, or principalities were worshipped in the pagan world in many guises, from the fertility god Baal, to the goddess of sexuality Asherah, or Ashtaroth, to the destructive idol Moloch. He rightly points out that the ancient world was everywhere consecrated to these darker, lower entities, and that worshippers went to the point of sacrificing their own children to propitiate these forces. He correctly reflects the central narrative of the tribes of Israel as alternately embracing Yahweh and his Ten Commandments and ethical covenant and finding it all too taxing and thus falling away to whore after these pagan gods. He notes that the gods of the Old Testament, the world dis- that the gods of the Old Testament the world descended in updated guys into the Greco-Roman life, taking on new names, Zeus, Diana, and so on. He correctly notes that the Septuagint, the early Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, rendered Shadim as daimonis. This word is rendered also as spirit personifications. Conversationally today, we receive this word in English today as demons. Having correctly traced the lineage of pagan worship and pagan forces, Khan makes the case that they were never simply overcome by the embrace in the West of Christianity, but rather they were simply pushed to the margins, the outskirts of Western civilization, weakened by our covenant with God or with Jesus, depending on whom we are. He argues that these negative but potentially powerful forces have been dormant or suppressed for two millennia by the Western Judeo-Christian covenant. 
he argues that these neg I'm rewriting this one for to actually say the truth that these negative but potentially powerful forces have been dormant or suppressed for two millennia by the holy catholic church and that they have now taken this opportunity of our turning away from god even that of holy mother church not for the okay so for catholics who understand who need to understand that i'm not talking about the ineffable immaculate bride of christ i'm talking about the bishops i'm talking about the pope i'm talking about priests who have lgbt masses who celebrate holy mass in sports team vestments who use the altar like a DJ's turntable at a nightclub rather than the holy artifacts that they are. Not the perfect bride of Christ. We thus are the house that has been cleaned by the covenant with the Judeo-Christian commitment but that we subsequently abandoned the house he maintains and left it vulnerable, open, for negative energies to re-enter. Though it is unfashionable now to talk about our Judeo-Christian founding and heritage in the West, it should not be. This legacy is simply a historical fact. I do not think one needs to be dismissive or insulting to Buddhism or Islam, which is also part of the Judeo-Christian lineage. Oh, she has absolutely no freaking clue. Ah, secularists. If you don't believe in the one true faith, you'll believe in anything. <sighs> or Jainism, or Shintoism, to acknowledge the fact that the West civilization for the past two millennia has been a Judeo-Christian one. It's actually been a Catholic one. And that our founders in this nation, though rightly establishing religious freedom, believed that they were consecrating a nation in alignment with the will of God as they understood him. Which is why Freemasonry is a farce. Kahn cites Puritan minister Jonathan Winthrop in warning that America's state of being blessed by God will only last as long as we hold up our end of the covenant. And this is actually true in Catholic teaching, because the one holy Catholic and apostolic church teaches that God's love is not unconditional, though it is perfect. God says in the Old Testament and the New, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And we tend to forget that if we fail to keep his commandments, and we fail to show by our actions that we love him, then he will not be our God, and he will surrender us to false gods, and we will wander on in darkness. It is continuing from the article. It is worth returning to Pastor Winthrop's famous speech and to his invocation of the covenant that undergirded the foundation of America. Thus stands the cause between God and us. We are entered into covenant with him for this work. We have taken out a commission. The Lord hath given us leave to draw our own articles. We have professed to enterprise these and those accounts upon these and those ends. 
We have hereupon besought him of favor and blessing. Now, if the Lord shall please to hear us and bring us peace to the place we desire, bring us in peace to the place we desire, then hath he ratified this covenant and sealed our commission, and will expect a strict performance of the articles contained in it. But if we shall neglect the observation of these articles, which are the ends we have propounded, and dissembling with our God, shall fail to embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us, and be revenged of such a people, and make us know the price of the breach of such a covenant." Not only to avoid this shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. Why do I share all this? Because while it would be easy to dismiss Pastor Khan's theory as wacky and fanatical, I have reluctantly come to believe that this, his central premise, may be right. In the Old Testament, it is not Hasatan who is the most fearsome, treacherous, and dangerous of figures. It is rather the gods who are the seductive abominations, that is to say, the ancient pre-Yahweh, pre-Mosaic, pre-Christian gods, our old adversaries in the Hebrew Bible, Yahweh's adversaries, Baal, Moloch, and Astarte, or Asherah. Those are the gods that traduced, lured, hounded, bedeviled, and seduced my people again and again. Those are the gods about whom this extraordinary innovation in, human, in the human story, the monotheistic god of all, continually, specifically warns us, warns the children of Israel. Those are the gods whose sacrifice, to whose sacrifice the children of Israel constantly stray, appoint, disappointing and enraging our creator. Those are the gods with their child sacrifice and their graven images against whom our father Abraham rebelled and taught his descendants to rebel. Those are the gods whose acceptance of child sacrifice, a real thing, a barbaric culture-wide practice that continued for centuries in the tribes and civilizations surrounding the children of Israel, and may I insert, all tribes on earth, was supplanted by animal sacrifice this was an evolution in human civilization. Evolution, that's cute. Um, that represent that is represented by the story of Abraham's near sacrifice of his own son Isaac, when the child on the altar is replaced miraculously by a ram provided at the last moment by the Lord God. The sheer amoral power of Baal, the destructive force of Moloch, the unrestrained seductiveness and sexual licentiousness of Astarte. These are the primal forces that do indeed seem to me to have returned. Or at least the energies that they represent, moral power over, death worship, antagonism, to the sexual orderliness of the intact family and fa faithful relationships, seem to have returned without restraint since 2020. There may well indeed be negative... Oh, actually, let me back up here just for a moment. For those of you who are not tracking why it seems like there was a benchmark moment. I'm glad that she mentions Astarte or Asherah. Before Asherah, there was Tiamat. But in the West, in South America, in Central America, it was a demon called Pachamama. The same demon. 
the same demon. It was the same demon that received so much human sacrifice in Mexico City before it was Mexico City and it was Tenochtitlan, the capital of the Aztec Empire. It's the same deity, the same demon, the same devil, has been the same devil throughout history. And the reason why I specifically mentioned the Pacha Heifer was because in 2019, in October, near the end of the year, right at the beginning of the COVID madness, when it was first released from the Wuhan lab, probably by accident, if I'm being honest. In October of 2019, when the world was doing Event 201 to prepare for a coronavirus pandemic, at that same time, in the Vatican Gardens, and later, in the Basilica of St. Peter, the Pacha Heifer was enthroned. You want to know why the mask is off? The mask is off because Holy Mother Church let that demon in. You can doubt you can doubt this all you want, but the fact is is that the timing is perfect. You think that this world was protected by Judeo-Christian values? It was not. This world had been protected by the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, the Roman Catholic Church, whose vicar has been denigrated again and again since Paul VI took off the papal tiara. Paul VI took off the papal tiara and the sexual revolution exploded. The Catechism of the Catholic Church was revisited and edited to say that all of humanity shares in the salvation provided by the Church and that they are all members of the, uh, members of the body of Christ by some connected or maybe slightly distant relation. And then in 2019, at the end of 2019, a demon was enthroned in the Vatican. These are the big three. For 2,000 years, these demons were contained and chained by the church Christ founded. An extra ecclesia, nulla salus. Outside of that church, there is no salvation. Now you may believe me or not, but those four words are as true as it gets. You can choose to ignore them or not. <clears throat> our bishops have in large part abandoned their posts our priests 
have allowed themselves to be seduced by demons. And I could name the five. The five principal ones. I won't, because I've already done enough naming of demons in this podcast. And this podcast is protected by the sacred blood, by by the most precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. There may well, continuing from the article, there may well indeed be negative forces reappearing or emerging into daylight from out of their less visible domains, whom we, after two millennia of the church, have literally forgotten, at least in Western civilization, how to identify. It may well be that these negative forces are highly complex, extraordinarily powerful, and stunningly well-organized. It may indeed be the case that they have swept themselves back into our house in the West and emerged visibly in the past two years. I do believe that they are able to do so because we dropped our own end of upholding a basic covenant with God. After having gone back to the Old Testament, it is clear to me that Yahweh warned us that this this could happen, that we could easily lose his protection and break the covenant. He warned us, indeed, over and over in the Hebrew Bible of the risk. I was taught in Hebrew school that we as Jews are forever God's chosen people. But God does not say that consistently in the Old Testament at all. And that is true. They were established for a very long time. But since the resurrection of our Lord, Jesus Christ, Within a few decades of his resurrection, the temple was eradicated. God's holy place on earth was destroyed. And there has not been a holy sacrifice in God's temple in 2,000 years. At least not God's temple in Jerusalem. But that covenant would have to go somewhere. And it did. You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not stand against it. Since the destruction of the temple, the holy sacrifice of the Mass has been offered increasingly dispersed around the world, up until the point where today, all over the world, the holy sacrifice of the Mass is offered, and God is present physically, really, in his temple all over the earth. You want to see God? You can see him face to face. You will find him in the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist. The blessed sacrament in all of the tabernacles, in all of the temples around the world. God is present physically, really, visibly. Continuing. There are many times a covenant is mentioned in the Hebrew Bible, but when Yahweh explains what he wants from this children in Exodus, he is clear that certain conduct is expected from us in order to receive his blessing. 
God established the Mosaic Covenant just after a significant development anticipated in Genesis 15 had taken place, the emancipation of Abraham's descendants from oppression in a foreign land. The focus at Sinai is less on what Abraham's descendants must do in order to inherit the land and more on how they must conduct themselves within the land as, a unique na as the unique nation that God intended them to be. In order to be God's treasured possession, the kingdom of priests, the holy nation, Israel must keep God's covenant by submitting to its requirements, i.e. the stipulations set forth in Exodus 20 and 23. By adhering to these and subsequent covenant obligations given at Sinai, Israel would be manifestly different from other nations and thus reflect God's wisdom and greatness to surrounding peoples. So he does not say that we are automatically set under his protection forever. Rather, he says again and again that if we, the children of Israel, act justly, love mercy, visit the sick, protect the widow and the orphan, then we will be his people and we will have his covenant, his blessing and protection. He also warns directly himself and through his many prophets that we can lose his protection by dropping our end of the covenant, a covenant that goes, as all contracts or agreements do, two ways. And God is very clear, at least in the Old Testament. He says in certain places, you left the paths of righteousness, so now I withdraw my protection from you. I always thought that many Jews, indeed, the education I had in Hebrew school, alarmingly misread what Yahweh so clearly stated. I was taught that being chosen as God's people was a static, lucky status. All you had to do was be born Jewish. Better yet to be born Jewish, marry a Jewish spouse, raise Jewish children, light Shabbat candles, go to synagogue on the high holy days, and visit the state of Israel. I was also taught that God bestowed the land of Israel to the Jewish people unconditionally. We were not taught in Hebrew school what the Hebrew Bible really says, that we could indeed lose God's favor and be unchosen again. What God tells us again and again through, through the Old Testament, and though the author doesn't mention it, this is in fact true in the New, is that he asks for a living, actual, organic relationship with us the children of Israel, in which we show our commitment to him and our devotion to him as his people through how we treat him every day. Meaning, through how we treat those around us as he asked us to in his name. That is what he calls his covenant. That is what he means by my people. I can actually go through in the New Testament where this is all said identically both by Christ and his apostles. In Genesis 9-8, God promises Noah after the flood, and God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more, any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is a token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall be, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. <coughs> 
and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth, that he would set his rainbow in the cloud. And God will not be mocked. Because the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, whatever you want to call it, community, has as their battle standard the rainbow flag. As if to flout in God's face that he would never send a flood to destroy the whole earth. Continuing from the article, though he promised an everlasting covenant, that does not mean we get to do whatever we desire to do here on earth. He never said he wouldn't ever under any circumstances give up on humanity as we are in our current context on this planet. He promised rather that he would not never again do away with wicked humanity by water. He always rightly made clear to us that in a living partnership with him, we are supposed to show our love and our recognition of the privilege of being wedded to his path through our zealous, difficult, freely chosen, unending actions. This is a very Catholic thing, and she's just drifted into saying. Feed the hungry every day. Visit those in prison. Care for the orphan. Protect the widow. Do justly. So the truth of God's requests of us Jews in the Hebrew Bible is absolutely not once chosen, always chosen. She, uh, she does leave out. This is actually the funny part. She leaves out the worship of him. He does expect worship. He does expect visible acts of devotion that are specifically to him. Not just to feed the hungry. Not just to visit those in prison. Not just to care for the or- orphan or protect the widow. Not just to do to simply do rightly among our fellow man. We owe him our obeisance. We owe him our worship. We owe him our adoration. And most of all, as fallen men, each and every one of us owes him our penance, our confession, and our repentance. Continuing from the article, the covenant is not defined as carte blanche for us to abuse our relationship with our creator. Again and again in the Hebrew Bible, we showed God that we were not up to that daily walk with him as he re- that he requested of us. It's hard. It's draining. The ancient gods around us in the days of the prophets were so very seductive. They were so much easier. Sacrifice a bullock, pour some oil, pay a priest, visit a temple prostitute. The ancient gods did not demand daily acts of justice, mercy, charity, sexual self-restraint, as Yahweh, so morally demanding by the standards of the ancient world, had done. If God's courtship of the children of Israel in the Old Testament were a romance novel or a film, which it really is if read properly, the well-meaning best friend would counsel the Lord of Israel, give them up, walk away. They're just not that into you. God never said, once I choose you as my people, then you can do whatever you want. He doesn't want a codependent or abusive relationship. He wants a real marriage. 
Today, we are in grave danger if we as Jews think that by honoring our ethnic heritage or even our religious traditions, even if we keep kosher and light the Shabbat candles, that we are doing what Yahweh really asked of us. And the same could be said, as I say this with equal respect, of many Christian churches, books, and media messages. I'm in dialogue with devout Christians of many denominations with whom I have shared these anxieties, who also feel that we are in a time of similar moral danger for their co-religionists and for similar reasons. Too few in either community, we agree, seem to understand how dangerous to a nation, to a civilization, abandoning God can be. There have been many, there have been times that Yahweh's warnings to us as the tribes of Israel were born out. A generation that was disobedient to God's instructions, that insisted on worshiping the golden calf, was allowed by God to die in exile from the promised land. A new innocent generation had to be born before the Israelites could enter that land. Later, after due warnings from the Lord and innumerable warnings from his prophets, ranging from Jeremiah to Isaiah, we did get deported. The first temple was destroyed, and we were sent into exile in Babylon. We did weep by the rivers of Babylon in our exile. After due warnings, including from Christ himself, I'm editing here because I will not allow falsehoods to be said about our Lord. After due warnings, including from Christ himself, we all, Jews and Christians, did see the second temple demolished as foretold. We were warned about the destruction of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We Jews were scattered around the world. Our house was left to us desolate. We were sent again into exile. I feel that many Jews and many Christians are at risk right now of unduly positive thinking, of thinking that everything is okay, that we will be automatically be, be redeemed when it is manifestly not okay. Because Jewish history is longer than Christian history. Not a value judgment, just a statement of fact. We have more experience of God's having indeed withdrawn his protection and left us to the fate about which he warned us. Actually, okay, so because Jewish history is longer than Protestant history. That would be a more correct way to say it. Because Protestant history only goes back about 500 years, and it doesn't even do that faithfully. But Catholic history goes all the way back. But even Protestant history does not have a promise that God can never withdraw. Though these darker or more wrathful warnings seem less often taught from many pulpits these days than they used to be taught in our Puritan past, Jesus himself warned his followers about the dire consequences of amoral behavior, the serious dangers of being whited sepulchers, of neglecting or hurting the poor, or of bringing children to harm. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, nor suffer ye them that are entering to go in. How true that is today. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer. 
Therefore, ye shall receive the greater damnation. My point being that our forefathers for both faith traditions, Jewish and Christian, understood that a covenant involving God's blessing and protection took action from both the Lord and from his people to be in effect. It was not an eternal hall pass. We in this generation have forgotten this, but I think it is possible that for 4,000 plus years and then for 2,000 more, God's covenant has in fact largely protected the West and that we have had his blessing for so long that we have taken it for granted that in the last few years we have released our hold on God's covenant and that God is simply as he warned us in the Old Testament that he could, withdrawn and left us to our own devices so we can see for ourselves how we will do when we depend on humans alone. In the absence of God's covenant and protection in the West, great evil is flourishing. Pastor Khan's pre premise resonated with me because the energies that I have felt flooding into our world in these last two years feel, feel primarily recognizable to me as a Jew, ancestrally recognizable. These dark forces, now freed in the world around us, feel like the way the world must have felt before Moses ascended Mount Sinai, before a baby was born in a manger. They feel again like the pre-monotheistic past, like the world the Hebrews confronted when the word of God was first revealed to them. It feels again like the ancient world that continually tempted the Hebrews away from the hard, rigorous, daily demanding practice of morality and of adherence to the Ten Commandments. It feels again like the ancient world felt, being as it was under Baal's, Moloch's, and Asherah's dark, inexorable, complex, and anti-human rule. That is to say, it was... And now it is a world in which humans did not, do not matter. It was, and now is, a world in which children can be slaughtered by their parents or by the authorities. It was, it now is, a world in which slavery had and now has no moral valence. Lust and greed were, and now are again, everything. God was not then fully present, and now I argue, as Pastor Khan argues, God has withdrawn. I would only add to this. He is not withdrawn fully. If you seek him, you will find him. He is still present all over the world. His church, his perfect bride, still stands but it's up to you to join her the way is hard there is no faith life harder than that of a Catholic the standards are high very high We must not only guard our words and deeds, but we must also guard our thoughts. We can sin in our hearts and have it be just as deadly as a sin manifest in the flesh. But if you keep his commandments, you will be his child. And they that keep his commandments, that cleave themselves, to Holy Mother Church that follow the path that was shown to us by the Blessed Virgin Mary, God's most perfect creation, 
not God herself, but his creation. The daughter of the father, mother of the son, spouse of the Holy Ghost. No other being in all of creation can make such a claim. No other human being was granted such grace. No other human being reflected the very image of God better than Christ's mother, God's mother, God's daughter, and God's wife. If we follow her path, if we do as she says, which is quite simply referring to Christ, do whatever he tells you, we will find that God has not abandoned us fully, that God is still present on earth, that God's protection is still here, and that though we live in a time of great trial and tribulation, we can still be safe in his house. Continuing from the article. The commitment to Judeo-Christian norms and values, which have been the hallmark of the West for two millennia, even when we fell far short of them, has fallen apart altogether. The great genius of America was not that it was consecrated to a specific religion. Oh, that's just silly. The genius of our nation included freedom of freedom of religion. That's genius. Either a thing is true or it's not. I was once told in Master Gunner School that if an answer is 99% correct, then it is still 100% wrong. And when it comes to faith, I believe that distinction is far more important. Either a thing is true or it's not. If you insert one false word into a true statement, that true statement becomes a lie. The great genius of America was that they were able to lie about what freedom of religion really means. See, the fact is, is that if you have freedom of religion, if you are free to follow any path, including the truth, then the reality is, is 99% of the time you are free to be from, you are, you are capable of being free from religion. You do not have the freedom of religion. Because the word religion does not denote these various beliefs, these sects, these opinions as to the nature of God. The word religion means obligation to God. Anyway, back to the article. But our distinction was that we were founded as a city on a hill. Spiritually, we were consecrated by our ultimate organizational manifestation of human freedom with its basis in free will to God. Oh. Dear Heavenly Father, save her from that fallacy. Because even if you're just moving one degree off, on your path to eternity. There's only one 
gate into heaven and it is truly narrow <coughs> and you can miss it by a few steps and end up in hell if we withdraw our role in that covenant perhaps Pastor Khan is right and pagan entities long held at bay in the west are empowered and rush back in and so decency, human rights, human values, all of which we thought were innate secular Western values, turn out to be values that cannot be protected enduringly without the blessing of what has been in the West, a Judeo-Christian God. They are all being cleared out of our society, and almost no one, certainly very few people who are not people of faith, are standing in the breach as this takes place. Now look at our political leaders, our national structures in the West. They went overnight from ethically oriented, at least overtly, to purely nihilistic organizations. Like I said, the mask is off. Before 2020, Judeo-Christian norms had not entirely left the West, even though explicit religious language was no longer invoked in its public spaces. How long did you think that was going to last before the demons just came flooding in? You either give honor to God or you don't and if you don't something else will come in anyway continuing what I mean is that until 2020 biblical belief system structured our institutions even though we no longer explicitly invoked God did they really the Bible is all around us in the West or it has been even though we think we are living in a postmodern reality we have been blind to its influence for the most part the idea that you should seek peace with your neighbors with whom you disagree, rather than trying to harm them or their children. The notion that a court should deliver impartial justice rather than hand over goods to the more powerful litigant. The idea that the poor and the orphaned in a community should be cared for rather than enslaved or left to starve. These were not the norms of the pagan world. These are rather biblical beliefs. Even though the explicit Judeo-Christian religiosity has been removed from the public discourse, Our institutions in the West, thus, have been like vessels made with lost wax. They have kept, oh, excuse me, have, have been like vessels made with the lost wax process. They have kept the shape of the biblical concepts and beliefs, even though the biblical language in public is now against the law, or has fallen away from being a cultural norm. But we don't leave babies to starve, at least we didn't kill living babies before 2020 for a reason. Our courts at least ostensibly don't allow cheating or theft in our society for a reason. We don't abandon the elderly to the modern equivalent of wild animals for a reason. And the reasons derive straight from the Ten Commandments and from both Old and New Testaments. These, of course, shaped our institutions for millennia, even though we think these institutions are now secular. They always were. Though secular in the West until 2020, our institutions have retained a biblical, not a pagan, shape. Congresses, parliaments, nonprofits were organized along what were basically Judeo-Christian ethical frameworks, even though the explicit religious language is no longer part of the public discourse. Respect for human rights, the equal value of all, the cherishing of life, the, seek, the seeking of a peaceful society. While our institutions were far from perfect, they were our institutional values in the West, at least overtly until 2020. That clause, at least overtly, at least overtly, at least overtly, every time you hear that clause, you should simply say, you should simply say in your mind, until the mask came off. 
The people who put these into place, the ones who founded all of these nonprofits, all who did all of these great things and then fashioned them so that they would appear to be in some way, shape or form biblical so as to not be rightly rejected by every thinking, feeling man of faith. were all founded by organizations whose moniker was literally a wolf in sheep's clothing. They were a lie from the beginning. And we need to get that through our heads. Everything you thought about American history is built on lies. Anyway, from the article, all of that changed seemingly overnight. Pastor Khan notes that Jesus identified Satan alongside the demons. Pastor Khan refers to these ancient gods, powers, as well as the more modern Satan together as the anti-god forces. As such, I do feel that this is with what we are terrifyingly grappling. She's probably going to quote it here later, but I'm just going to quote it here now. For we, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness against, against the evil in this world. Since 2020, the world, I feel, has been bathed, infused, bombarded even with intensely powerful energies that are totally unfamiliar to us in this generation, but that may derive from a pre-Christian, pre-solidly Jewish time, a time when early Judaism was struggling with the seductive and oppressive entities that always sought to seduce the children of Israel away from the monotheistic truth, the one God. The ancient Shadim are the only principalities and powers I can imagine that are capable of manifesting a national and now a global network of policy advocates. The ancient Shadim are the only principalities and powers I can imagine that are capable of manifesting a national and now a global network of policy advocates, social workers, graphic designers, members of parliament, who are all on board with an escalating euthanasia death cult. The ancient demons are the only entities I can imagine powerful enough in just two years and a bit to destroy families, to ruin sexuality and fertility, to make a mockery of human rights, to celebrate the end of critical thinking, to march us all in lockstep to worship of technocrats and of technocracy, medical cultism, and an orgiastic cult of self and other annihilation. And I must notice, if these Shadim or demons are powerless, why are their symbols reappearing everywhere? I used to see fundamentalist Christians who warned of Satan lurking in, a, in rock and roll as fanatics. But what I myself am seeing around me, I cannot unsee. The Temple of Baal archway was, in fact, expensively reconstructed from its original in Syria and moved to appear at a major thoroughfare in London and was now unveiled in Washington, D.C. and in New York. Why? A bizarre opening ceremony in a new train site in Switzerland at which European leaders were present included a horned entity, an ibex, upholding of a symbolic lamb, it, the appearance of a terrifying angel, and the writhing of nearly naked men and women in S&M themed bondage postures. Why? 
Katy Perry's performance in 2015, in which she performs astride a massive mechanical lion, directly echoed in the symbology of Ishtar, of Asherah, down to her iconic stance. Why? Sam Smith's Unholy, bathed in lurid red light with its satanic imagery, takes the Grammys and Billboard respectfully gets a quote from the Church of Satan while mocking the pearl-clutching of conservatives. Why? A terrifying animated bull figure with glowing red eyes is apparently worshipped by scantily dressed male and female dancers at the Commonwealth Games opening ceremony in Birmingham, England in 2022. This is just bizarre. Why? The bull was once a symbol of Baal. Satancom is coming to Boston, 2023, is getting a fairly respectful coverage in the Boston Globe, a highlight of the upcoming conference, abortion as a religious right. The Globe raises no questions about this gathering. Why? A statue has been erected to honor the late Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Inexplicably, it has horns and tentacles. Why? I could go on and on. Once you see the occult, satanic, pre-Christian, darker, demonistic themes reestablishing themselves in Western society, you cannot unsee them. The elite don't waste time and money creating images, rituals, or themes that have no purpose. I can't forget that secret societies at Yale, I was a member of a senior society that had a secret element, draw on pre-Christian, indeed pagan, mithracult, ritualistic themes as part of their initiation ceremonies. Oh, weird. So do the Freemasons. Is this all just artistic expression or edgy window dressing? Or are we just bored? All of Western Europe was once consecrated to Jesus, Mary, and saints. Or to the church. Almost every chapel, town, village, crossroads, Santander, Mont Saint-Michel, Greyfriars, much of America too, Santa Barbara, San Francisco, San Mateo, San, Santa Catalina. Did that consecration do more than just establish place names? Did it help keep us safe? Are we now seeing the costly and intentional process of global elites reconsecrating our America, our West, to negative entities that are, in spite of all the dominant narrative since the 20th century began, arguing the contrary, in fact, real? As poet Charles Baudelaire pointed out, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. The only thing that feels intuitive to me to my sense, is that these pagan forces may indeed, once again, have gained a foothold again on our planet. What feels intuitive to me is that God is at the limit of his patience with us. And he has said, okay, you want to do it yourself? Do it yourself. And he let us go. And that this, the absence of the protection of our God, the ascendancy of a realm on earth, of us doing it all ourselves, regarding ourselves, worshipping ourselves, whoring after only human works, releasing ourselves from all lawful constraints, embracing all lusts and all obedience to non-divine authorities, rejecting mercy, celebrating all narcissism, treating children like animals whom we own, treating the family like a battlefield, treating the churches and synagogues as marketing platforms. This is indeed what the realms of pagan darkness or of principalities and powers look like. This may indeed be what hell itself looks like.
Obviously, I had more to say during the article than, honestly, I expected. And Dr. Naomi Wolf, I can tell you, we're not in hell yet. It's dark. It's very dark. But in the Catholic Church, we know. It's more than just wars and rumors of wars. It's more than just white martyrdom persecutions, cancellation, as it were. We're actually close. Not just when you're not allowed to say these things, not when you're not just, not when you are simply not allowed to bring these things up. But when you bring them up and everybody looks at you like you have male genitalia growing out of your forehead. We're not there yet because the, because despite all of these things, a minor majority, a vast multiplicity still understands that what's happening is wrong. Notice I didn't say a vast majority, I said a minor majority. It won't be until we are clearly in the minority that hell begins. And if God interrupts this time early, it'll be for our benefit. Because if he lets it go according to the way that he, he him, himself has prescribed, as has been revealed in the Bible, Old and New Testament, He even says, were these days not shortened, there would be none left. The fact is, is we will be there when we're the remnant. But the key thing I got to tell you, the number one warning, he's not talking to humanity as a whole in the Bible. In the same way that the Old Testament was specifically for the Jewish nation, the New Testament is specifically for Christ's church. The difference is, is that you couldn't just join the, the, the Hebrew nation. You can become part of God's church. And outside of God's church, there is no real chance for salvation. To be sure, there is the opportunity, there is the option, because I'm not about to put, you know, God in a box. He may pour out extraordinary graces on those who have not brought themselves into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But those are the exception. They are not the rule. The rule is outside of the church, there is no salvation. And the Joel Austins of the world do not worship the same Christ as the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. In point of fact, 
many of the upper echelons of the Roman Catholic Church do not worship the same Christ as the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. You want to be assured of your salvation, then you have to take the teachings that have continuity. You have to take the teachings that were the same in the Old Testament and the New. You have to take the teachings that were the same yesterday, today, and forever. The ones that do not change. The ones that don't capitulate to LGBT celebrations. The ones who don't capitulate to the seamless garment theory as propagated by Cardinal Bernadine. The Roman Catholic Church has problems, but it is still the Bride of Christ. The one holy Catholic and apostolic faith is true. The Bride of Christ was established by Christ. And just because the Pope and the bishops have all decided to to go off and serve Baal, or Asmodeus, or Leviathan, or any of the others, does not change the fact that the Catholic Church is true. That we still worship the one true God. We still worship him the way God wants. We are still the one true religion. (coughs) And though we're going through a liturgy war right now, the new liturgy is going to die. Because all of the proponents, the ones who continue to push it, they're the same ones. They're the same ones who part and parcel with all of this other crazy have begun to compromise, or excuse me, continue to compromise, and compromise and compromise. And all of these things that you have set forth in this article, Dr. Wolf, the new church rejects. But the one holy Catholic and apostolic church has always taught. May God give you the grace to find a priest who can actually show you the truth. May God give you may God give us all the grace of having at least a holy priest there so that we may receive the sacraments before the worst parts of his chastisement come upon us. There are now more Protestants who listen to this podcast and I've habitually beaten Protestantism about the head and neck. And the reason for that is is that the Protestants today do not believe what the Protestants 500 years ago believed. And they don't believe that because they don't believe that they need lineage. They don't believe that they need succession. They don't believe that they need to be taught. They believe that they can read the words and do the job just fine. But I know as a mechanic, as an aircraft mechanic, that that is not true. You cannot hand a technical manual to just anybody and expect that they can fix your car. 
They have to be taught. They have to understand how the thing works. That knowledge has to be passed down. And you can preserve much of it in a book, but you cannot preserve it all. You must have context. You must have experience. And there's not one church today outside of the Holy Catholic Church that has sustained that properly. And even in the last 50 years, Holy Mother Church has faltered. And if you ask, well, what about the Orthodox? Well, the Orthodox allow contraception. The Orthodox allow divorce. And there are a few other things that they permit that in the Catholic Church have always been impermissible. Always. And don't get me wrong, we have prelates who want to teach otherwise today. That is for sure true. But those prelates, by their actions, are not Catholic. They're heterodox. They are not orthodox. There is no salvation outside the church. You cannot be separated from the bride of Christ and be saved. It's just a fact. For all of you out there who've listened to this extremely long article, understand now is the time of repentance. And I bring this message during Lent when it's the perfect time. Confess your sins to a priest, receive the sacraments. Fast and do penance. Spend 15 minutes a day, at least, in prayer. Read the Holy Scriptures. Meditate on the mysteries of the Most Holy Rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And do these things and your salvation can be assured. Because you cannot do these things and remain hard of heart. You cannot be consistent in these things and remain poisoned. You will come clean. And you will be made ready for heaven if you follow his commandments. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.